Hello, investors, and welcome to episode 11 of Dissecting the Deal. Our guest, Marseille Winder. Hello, investors. My name is Michael Liticode. I am happy to be your host here for Dissecting the Deal, the podcast where we talk with an investor about an opportunity that they've taken down, they've made money on, so that you can learn how to do the exact same thing. I am super excited for today's episode. Marseille is a awesome guest, and he has just so many cool things that he was able to do with this property. In fact, I think the interview went a little long, but for any of you looking at creative financing, anybody looking at trying to think differently about how to acquire properties. Marseille has a whole bunch of really great information. I'm going to stop talking. I'll catch you guys on the other side. For today's name drop, Marseille wanted to clue you guys into a gentleman by the name of Bill Bronchick. Uh, Bill is a attorney and also an investor. His website is legalwiz.com and there you can sign up for some courses and other sorts of things if you're thinking about getting into real estate. Again, this is not a sponsorship, but Marseille just got so much out of attending these courses. He wanted to share them with everybody else. So if you're interested in some of the creative financing ideas that Marseille was using in this deal that you're about to hear about, then I I would suggest going over to LegalWiz.com, checking out some of the videos and content that is available for you there. And thank you, Marseille, for the name drop. CKJW Properties was founded in 2017 by Marseille Winder. Marseille has been around construction most of his life. Marseille began working on job sites, cleaning up, climbing ladders, learning fam farming, roofing, plumbing, and through his dad's construction company. His first exposure to real estate investing came through his father as well. While his dad started out fixing houses, eventually he moved on to acquiring them and turning them into rentals. Fast forward over 20 years later, CKJW Properties was born. Since its inception, CKJW's properties has primarily invested in multifamily projects ranging from renovation and overhauls to turnkey ready rent properties. We specialize in renovation projects, tenant screening, and property management to effectively create added value and generate significant returns for our investing partners. Marseille Winder, aka the property pastor, is a husband, father, and senior pastor of Branches of the Vine Community Church in Hampton, Virginia. Additionally, Marseille works at Canon, Virginia, as incorporated as an engineering manager. Marseille founded CKJW Properties with a vision of providing safe and affordable housing throughout Hampton Roads. Inspired by leaving a legacy for his three children, Karis, Caitlin, and Jaden, Marseille seeks to instill and empower an entrepreneurial spirit in all whom he meets and partners with. Marseille, thanks so much for coming to the show. It's wonderful to get to meet you and, and talk about a deal. Absolutely, Michael, man. Thanks for having me on. And um, it's truly just an honor and a privilege just to hang out with you today. Talk a little bit about real estate, get to know one another, network and all that kind of good stuff. So thanks for having me, man. I'm looking forward to uh, to digging in. Awesome. I got to tell you, you know, ever since COVID's hit, uh, I've been just dying for other investors to just meet face to face, uh, even if it's over a screen and just talk shop, because uh, that's Absolutely. part of why I run a meetup every month is just a chance to get to know people and find out what they're doing. Absolutely. Absolutely. It definitely has made that made things complicated. But, um, you know, through the, thankfully for technology, you know, we can still kind of link up. So it's, just, it's still good stuff. Sweet. Well, I'm really excited because uh, you are actually uh, continuing to invest and find properties here in the midst of a global pandemic. Uh, so let's start with this deal that you wanted to talk about today. Uh, where was this property? 
Yeah, so um, this particular deal we're going to dig into today is actually in uh, Newport News, Virginia, and I, I live in Hampton, Virginia, so we call it the Seven Cities, which is really small geographical space, but a lot of cities kind of packed in together in a military area. So one neighboring city over, which I can drive to the property in probably about 15 minutes, um, property is in Newport News, Virginia. So this is actually a duplex uh, property that I purchased from another investor. So a fellow investor um, came up, you know, and said, hey, look, man, I'm, I've got this duplex, I renovated it. Um, you know, I'm one of he wanted to focus on wholesaling. So he um, knew I was a buy and have and buy and buy and hold rehab guy. So he brought the deal to me and um and I was like, yeah, let's let's make it work. So um we actually did a, a lease option purchase, which was one of my first type of deals like this, but it kind of it falls in the creative financing space. And um, you know, I've done uh, grown my portfolio through creative financing, and um it's, that's been one of the things I've been kind of really focused on probably in the past year, year and a half. I was going to say, I mean, looking through your stuff and your Facebook page and everything, I mean, you lean hard on creative financing. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, it, the thing I love about creative financing is that you kind of, I mean, it's creative, right? There, There's really no limit to what you can do. I mean, I know people that have, you know, thrown a boat in, you know, to a deal, you know, they, they <laughs> it's like, Hey, you need to ride a lawnmower. I mean, the thing about it, you know, there's, there's no uh, credit checks, the, the, the banking side of things, um, you know, you don't really have to deal with those those that, those headaches, and you can make things that create a win win. So I've really tried to 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 focus there. But what I found early in my career was doing the traditional twenty percent down conventional financing, your money dries up pretty fast. You know, and, and the amount of payback and return can can take quite long to to regenerate it. So I really started to shift my focus to bird deals and to creative finance deals. So this is a creative finance deal. Like I said, I've done a lot of stuff like that throughout building my portfolio so far. Neat. Uh, before we dig in a little more, I want to go back. Uh, how in the world did you get a wholesaler to just call up, pick up the phone and call you and say, Marseille, I'm thinking of you. I got a property. Oh man. Just like what you're doing right now, you know, network, you know, you got a network, you got a network, you got a network. And I think once you kind of build, there's a few things I tell folks, right? You've got to build uh, competency and you've got to build character. And when I talk about competency, that is basically just knowing your stuff, knowing how to do a deal, knowing your numbers, knowing how to walk through closing, knowing how to you know set up different things that you need from the diligence side, and actually being able to execute a deal, right? So this particular wholesaler is somebody that I had kind of almost done a little bit of partnering with in the past. He was you know throwing a lot of deals my way, or at least throwing leads my way. And um, here was one where he was what I called a motivated seller, right? And a motivated seller was that he was a tired landlord. And for him, his skill set was in a wholesale game. But in the, you know, he, I think he had run into uh, tenant issues with evictions and all that kind of stuff. And he only had like a couple of properties. So he just didn't have the kind of reserves that he wanted or felt comfortable with to deal with some of that stuff. But, but yeah, I mean, the networking was a big piece of it, you know, just kind of knowing people in your local area, you know, through meetup groups, through uh, RIA groups, uh, through Facebook groups and all that kind of stuff. So once you kind of, once folks know what you're looking for and know what you can do, um, I think they, you know, that's, that's where more deals started to come from that space. Very cool. So this wasn't actually a, a wholesaler who would track down a lead. This was his property that he owned. This was actually, wanted. yeah, this was actually his property. So, and I think when he was starting, he wasn't sure if he wanted to, I mean, ultimately I think his end game was to be a buy and hold investor. Um, but he found that wholesaling was something he was better at. You know, he had a career uh, prior to real estate in sales. But yeah, this particular deal was one that he owned himself and he just wanted to offload. So we kind of have a standing agreement between he and I that with his leads and with his creative stuff, he sends it to me before he sends it out, you know, to the rest of the marketplace. 
Nice. Which again, as you said, you've built up that relationship showing I'm a capable, qualified buyer. I know what I'm talking about. If you show me a deal, chances are I'm going to be able to take it down. And again, yep. that character relationship of being able to say, I I I'm sticking by my word. If I tell you I'm going to buy it, I'm going to buy it. Absolutely. Yeah, awesome. and, and I think too, you know, having those relationships where everybody wins is, is critical. You know, I think sometimes you come out of the, sometimes we go into a deal like, you know, in this pie, I want all of it and you can't, you can just get the crumbs. But I think if you can take that pie and figure out how does everybody win from it, then, you know, it's, it's, it's advantageous for both sides. Oh yeah. I always tell everybody I'm looking to partner with, look, here's the deal. I'd rather be 10% of 10 different projects than hundred percent of something that's not getting off the ground. Absolutely. Cool. So uh, he, he calls you up. He says, Hey, uh, Marseille, I've got a deal. How did you know it was a deal? So for me, it was about the numbers. Um, you know, I had to do my diligence to understand what his, what his rents were, what his vacancy was, um, you know, what his, obviously his, you know, mortgage payment was critical just to figure out, you know, that's the largest expense on um, what he was basically paying in maintenance, who his property manager was, all that kind of stuff. So it's really about running the income of the property and then running the expenses of the property. And then at that point, just kind of saying, okay, what do I have to put into it? Um, and then is this going to outperform another similar investment, you know, just from an apples to apples uh, perspective? So for me, it was really just, I mean, when, when it was all said and done, the numbers worked, you know, we ran through, I mean, he, you know, he showed me, you know, what he was getting in rent. At the time that I bought the property, he actually had a underperforming tenant. So he was in the midst of an eviction. So what we worked out was like, hey, I'm not going to take the property on until that tenant is gone. You know, because what I told him that I can't inherit a problem. You know, if I if I inherit the problem, I'm gonna have to knock down, you know, my down payment, you know, basically my option fee to accommodate for that time where I'm not gonna be generating income from from the from the unit. Very cool. Okay. So you already knew one of the problems going in was on the income side where you've got a tenant that's in the middle of getting outed and you just said, Okay, sure, happy to help you out purchase, but that I'm not inheriting the problem that you're trying to get rid of right now. Exactly, exactly. So we, we basically said, I was like, hey, show tell me where you are in eviction, right? You know, and, and he was working with his property manager to get the person out. We pretty much said, it was like, okay, once that person is gone, right, they're, they're physically no longer at the property, you know, they've been evicted officially, I will take over the next month's payments, you know, and that's pretty much what we set up, you know, to make it work. And he was okay with it. And I told him, I basically gave him options. I said, I can either come in now, but you just got to understand that I'm going to project, I'm going to do two things. I'm going to project out how long I think it's going to take um, to get this person out. And if it takes longer, we're going to amend our agreement, right? Because at the end of the day, if I take it on early, I'm taking on an underperforming asset, which that no, you know, I told him, I said, I would be a foolish investor to take on something that was losing money unless I had an immediate plan to fix it. Right. Uh, so a uh, quick question about options. When you're doing a deal, um, do you usually mm -hmm. come to the table with multiple options for uh, the seller to try and help them? I try to, I mean, because I, I think we ought to be problem solvers, you know, and, and sometimes, you know, one of the things that I've learned over time is that if you just give one option for somebody, it's kind of a take it or leave it type of deal. But if you kind of give them, hey, here's what I recommend based on what you told me, I think these kind of things can help solve your problem. You know, and even from there, they start to evaluate those three things. We may tweak, you know, one piece of a deal, one, you know, one aspect, but typically we can kind of come together and say, you know, if I'm going to do an all cash deal, like even if I'm doing a true lease option, I'll say, hey, here's your all cash price. Here's your lease option price. You know, or if I'm doing create owner financing, I'm like, hey, we can do this um, for pure cash 
if you want to do an installment sale, we can do it that way, you know, and we just kind of give them options. And typically we can make a deal work versus here's the one thing, take it or leave it. Cause when you do that, folks kind of put up their wall and they walk away. Sure. That it now becomes either I do the deal or I don't do the deal and where you want them to be as which way of doing this deal is going to work best for you. Yeah. And, and I try to, I try to, my, my, my standpoint of negotiation is let's negotiate from the same side of the table, not necessarily across from one another. Cause I mean, and that's theoretical, right? So at the end of the day, it's, 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 it's a figurative thing where you're like, okay, if I'm coming on the same side of the table as you to help you solve your problem, you're going to be more apt to want to work with me because we're building a relationship to say, it's not me against you, it's you and me against the problem, right? Is that, does that make sense? Yep. And that problem is you've got an underperforming asset. You got a tenant that doesn't want to be there. You've got, you know, uh, you, you want to free up capital to go do something else. Like what can I do to be your partner in making that problem go away? Exactly. Exactly. This thing is, is costing you time, money and sleep at night. Let me help you to, uh, to alleviate that issue in your life. Nice. I'm going to use the sleep one. That's a good one. I'm going to use that. I haven't used that before. <laughs> All right. Yeah, so, I mean, uh, tap into the emotions, man. You tap into the emotions. We are, we make decisions. We're rational creatures, but we make decisions with our emotions. It's one of the things wow. I've definitely learned. Man, tell me about it. So uh, you you were hitting on something though about negotiations. So uh, you decide that it's a deal. You decide that it performs. You decide that um, one of the conditions of uh, taking it on is that the tenant's got to be out. Otherwise, you're going to start uh, seeing a lower price on your option of what you're doing with them. Uh, how did the negotiation go? And how did you guys arrive on your, your final purchase price? So this one, because we had relationship, was a, was a fairly easy negotiation. Um, what I consider, you know, when when the when the negotiation when the negotiation is only about the numbers, you haven't built up enough rapport, right? So when it's just about zeros and ones, you haven't built up enough rapport, right? When you get to that place where that person is like, "Hey, I want to do a deal with you," and let's just figure the numbers out. When the numbers become almost like a secondary thing, now you got something, right? So for this particular negotiation, it was. You know, he knew I do deals all the time and he also knew me personally. So he knew at the end of the day for him, it was really just about getting out of that pain. Right. So for him, he's just like, hey, if you can just take over and just to kind of break the numbers down for you guys, if you never if you're not familiar with folks aren't familiar with lease options, basically, I am just all I gave him was an option fee. Right. And I am taking control of the property without actually owning that asset. So what we did was we set up in a future date, which we did a five year term. I am going to purchase this property for the outstanding principal on the loan, right? So from where he was at, he just didn't want the problem anymore. So he really didn't care. He just wanted to walk away with what he put put into it. So he had done an FHA loan, first time home buyer, um, you know, and he was set up as as an owner occupant. But at that point, he had kind of moved on, had rehabbed the the property, the duplex, I think it was maybe 90 grand, but he put in another probably 25 grand of work into it. So he just wanted to get out from under it really at that, at that point. So he knew what he had put into it uh, from a, from a down payment side, but he didn't know what, he didn't have all this rehab costs uh, factored in there as well. So he just like I said, he wanted to get out from underneath the deal. I realized that I knew that. And I said, Hey, and I think he came in, he wanted like an 8% option fee. And I was like, well, I don't really want to go quite that high. And I used just his, previous history with tenants to kind of say, Hey, well, you've had a lot of problems year one, I could have the same problem. So I don't want to lose money for multiple years. And he understood that based on his previous pain point. So we kind of, we kind of just went back and forth like that. We settled on basically a 5% um, down payment fee or option fee and, uh, and, and went from there. 
So for those that aren't familiar with a, a lease option, what you're saying is that for 5% down, you were able to take control of the asset of the property. You have an agreement in place that in five years, you are going to bring a balloon payment for the outstanding principal on the property. But the day-to-day -day income is now your responsibility. Absolutely. Yeah. So I have, I have control over the property. I, you know, I have all rights to the income from that property. And then I basically pay his mortgage every month. So whatever that Delta is from whatever his, you know, his outstanding underlying loan to what I bring in, I keep that difference. Right. And then his, his benefit was taking the option fee. Right. So he's getting a little bit of capital up front. You're now covering his mortgage. And as you said, he's not waking up at night anymore, worrying about this tenant that's coming in. He Correct. doesn't have to worry about the property maintenance or anything going on. Uh, he just has to make sure Marseille is good and happy. And in five years, he's going to be rid of this property completely. Exactly. Yep. In five nice. years, his problem is his problem is officially over. So basically, I took care, I took care of his, his short-term problem where he doesn't have to worry about the tenants. He doesn't have to worry about the mortgage. And then his long-term problem of having anything in his own name that goes away in five years, basically. Nice. Uh, so what's your strategy in five years uh, for making that problem go away? So basically in five years, you know, by, the, by that point, you know, loan will be paid down pretty well. It'll be well, you know, well within the the 25% that any lender is going to go and put a note on for me. Um, so I'll go back to my bank, you know, one of my lenders and just say, hey, I've got this property, you know, I want to put it in my name. And I want you to get, I want to treat it like a refinance and not an outright purchase, because typically in these kind of deals, once the uh, once your lender understands you've been paying for paying for it for five years, they'll treat it more like a refi than they will a traditional traditional purchase purchase. And your benefit at that point is that you'll have the books, right? You'll you'll be able yep. to show uh, lease documents. You'll be able to show records of payments. You'll be able to show all that sort of stuff. And so you've now got your mm -hmm. own finances on it versus trusting yep. somebody else's finances. Correct. Yes, yeah. so I, I can I can show you know cancel payments, cancel checks or whatever, and just say hey I've got a I've got a history of paying here. I've got appreciation working on my side. And then additionally, I don't know if you if you, if you call, I mentioned earlier, he put another probably $20,000 worth of renovations into the unit. So basically he purchased for, you know, I think he had an initial note for like maybe 85,000. Every month he's paying down on that, but he's also put 25K additional renovations, right? So recognizing all of those factors, when I go to appraise, I could, I will easily be at 125, you know, to 135 at that point. So taking that 25% off of that, no problem to, to refinance. And we've also set it up that if for some, you know, reason, you know, things go south and property values tank, I can always say, I got two things I can do. I can extend my option, right? Or I can technically walk away from the deal if I want to. I mean, so the nice part about a lease option is that it is a unilateral agreement, right? So the seller is obligated to sell to me, but technically I'm not obligated to buy anything. Right. So I've got all those things, you know, from the exit strategy kind of in place, uh, which kind of just buffer me and help me in the long term. Very nice. That's awesome. OK, so uh, the tenant gets out. You guys uh, have your agreement in place. Once the tenant is out, your operating agreement now kicks into effect. Uh, what's the first thing you do uh, once you own the property? So first thing for me, right, was to get set up with property management, you know, property management is going to go in and assess, you know, what kind of work needs to be done. This particular property didn't need a lot of work. I mean, the tenant that got evicted really didn't do much damage, which we were fortunate there. So it was really just a function of getting in there, cleaning up real good. Um, I think there was a little bit of repainting and stuff like that. Just your, tra your traditional tenant turnover type stuff. 
Um, and then he went through his screen, you know, for new tenants. And one of the things about the property manager, he was, you know, I was, I was really clear with him, like, hey, I want to be really strict on our criteria. I don't want to make any compromises because, you know, we this property has already had an eviction, right? It's already so just talking through about what his criteria was, making sure it was three times the rent, making sure there's no eviction, you know, allowed, uh, credit checks, all that kind of stuff, you know, and, and we were able to get a tenant in there pretty much within weeks. So there was no problem backfilling the unit. So I was pretty much, you know, I think my first month, I might've had a little bit of, you know, just vacancy hangover, I like to call it, but, you know, half a month down. And then the very next month I was right on my, I was hitting my numbers right out of the park. So a really good pickup, you know, from, from, from that perspective. Sure. I like that vacancy hangover. I've never heard that before. <laughs> I, I like that a lot. Okay. So, uh, and, and how is the property performing now? You gave your criteria uh, and um, uh, sorry, the question I wanted to ask before that was, uh, is, is three weeks or ish to get a tenant in there? Is that normal in this market that you're in? Um, what I've seen, you know, last year it was, it was kind of tricky. This year, it seems like uh, vacancy uh, periods have been shortened. You know, we were we did this all in the warmer months of the year. So, you know, typically, I'm sure as I'm sure you guys know that in the warmer months of the year, it's a lot easier to place a tenant than it is in the colder months of the year. You know, here where we live at, the the, the uh, climate is rather moderate, so you don't get into those freezing cold type of parts of the winter, but you do get into things like you know kids changing schools, uh, you know, school year starting, and all that kind of stuff. And folks really don't like to move, you know, in December, right? They would much rather move in the summer months. You know, if they got kids, they can get their kids back into it, you know, transfer to a new school and all that kind of stuff. So three weeks was was uh, was surprisingly for me, um, you know, a a welcome surprise. But I've seen with other properties that have had vacancies that I really haven't had a hard time filling them either. So I think three to four weeks is, is about typical uh, for what I've been seeing in my market. Got it. OK, so you get the tenant in there and how's the property performing now? Oh, it's doing great now, you know, and um, what, what I've, you know, what we've run into maintenance has been fairly low uh, because remember they did a, a full rehab here. So they've got good, uh, you know, appliances are in good shape. Plumbing systems are in good shape. Roof is in good shape, you know, HVAC systems and all that kind of stuff. So I haven't really had, I mean, I, I think I've probably really had this asset performer for about three months now, but really no issues, you know, at this point. So it's been a really good pickup for me. And I think, you know, as when I took it over, you know, the, the fear in us always says, well, if this person had a hard time, I'm going to have the same hard time. But what I found was that just talking to the wholesaler, I was like, well, what did you use to put your tenant in place? And he started telling me a few things that just were red flags, right? So this was his only property at the time. So once he had like maybe a month or two of vacancy, what he started doing was making compromises on the screening criteria. Right. So some of the things he would do is say, OK, well, yep, you've got an eviction. You know, well, you had one. So I'll take that. Or you only make two times the rent. I'll take that. And as time started to mount, as I'm listening to him, he's making more and more compromises. So for me, I'm like, well, I'm not going to make those same compromises. I want to get a rock star tenant because I'd rather wait. If I had to wait two months, I'd rather do that and get a fantastic tenant than compromise and put somebody in there who's not doing well. And they just cause me more headache down in the long run. Sure. Uh, so it's almost that idea of investing in your tenant, you know, and, and being willing to sit vacant for a little bit in order to get that tenant that's going to be there for three years, five years, yep. pay every month. Absolutely. Be great. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and, I, you know, one of the things I, I, when I got started, I read a book, um, you know, Brandon Turner's got a great book on rental property, uh, you know, property management. 
But there's another guy named Mike Butler who's got a book called Landlording on Autopilot. And kind of the thing that I gathered from both of those guys was tenants, we should treat tenant selection almost as if we are hiring them for a job, right? So you look and you do background checks. You say, hey, do I want this person, you know, to come to my place of business every day and represent me? Well, on the standpoint of your property, do I feel good that this person is going to pay their rent every month? Are they going to take care of the property? you know, and that kind of thing. So yeah, I would much rather, you know, wait and get somebody that's going to be a stellar tenant than just try to get somebody in there so that I'm not carrying an extra amount of mortgage payments. Right. Or in worst case scenario, you've got to evict, then you've got to clean, you know, and then you're putting in three to $4,000 to fix whatever damage they've done, all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And those are those painful seminars that we have to go through, but those are the ones you make those mistakes, you know, one, one time, I think, and you really learn from them or you end up being a tired landlord. And then somebody like me comes and calls you up and say, Hey, I can fix your problem. <laughs> Very cool. Uh, so I think you already talked about uh, this question already. Um, but what was it that you did for the first time on this property? So yeah, like I mentioned earlier, just being a lease, uh, lease option purchase was the first one of these I've done. Most of my creative financing stuff in the past has been through owner financing with balloons on the end. Um, I haven't, one of the things I'm really looking forward to and in, in just writing on my goals is I need a, I want a traditional 30 year owner finance deal. I haven't done one of those yet, but this was my first uh, lease option purchase um, that I've done so far. And, um, you know, just from the standpoint of not having a realtor involved, um, you know, we, you know, the whole, the whole nine yards of the diligent steps that you would normally have with a real estate transaction in a conventional space, no bank, you know, and, and things like that. Even on this one, there wasn't even a closing company involved, right? We just set up uh, a memorandum of options. You can do like performance deed of trust and that kind of stuff. But there was a lot of things that I did without the handholding, I think that you usually have from a traditional conventional deal from, from what we've seen in the past. Yeah, the uh, the guardrails are a little bit off because it's not a typical deal. It's not something that everybody does every day. And so you're kind of right. exploring and figuring it out as you're doing the deal. Yeah, and, and I'd say too, I mean, most of the time when you start researching lease options, I think a lot of people are doing either lease option assignments or they're doing sandwich lease options, you know, kind of in the mainstream. Um, but this particular one, you know, I'm the back end guy, right? So this is a lease option purchase. So I'm not, you know, handing this off to a tenant buyer uh, and I'm not assigning this to some other investor. So this was it's a little bit unique, but it's one of the things that I've been trying to incorporate more and more into my business because I think it's a nice way to take over an asset without the liability um, things that you would kind of go along with it. Very cool. And knowing what you know now, is there anything you would have done differently about this deal? Probably the biggest thing I would do different would be to set up uh, something called a uh, performance deed of trust. And what that performance deed of trust does is basically, if you understand how a lease option works, my seller still has their um, underlying loan, right? So they still got their underlying loan with Bank of America or whatever, right? So I'm coming in and I'm, I'm filing, basically, I'm basically setting up a lease and a purchase agreement, which is in the future. But what would happen is in the event that my seller either files for bankruptcy um, or, you know, they get a lien attached to them. I could have, I have risk now, right? Because what happens is, that, so that one of the things I've learned after the fact is that a performance deed of trust, you can put a performance deed of trust on anything, right? So all I needed, all I, if I had to do it all over, I would have put a, put a performance deed of trust in place to say, hey, 
my seller is obligated to execute this purchase agreement at a future date. And what that does is if somebody tries to come and put a lien on their property, they have to get in line behind me, right? So one of the things I don't have is the, the same level of guarantees that my seller is not going to get into financial trouble. Now, what I did in this instance was I did file a, you know, have what they call a, a um, what is it called? Memorandum of option and our purchase agreement are recorded on the property. So what that does is it clouds title. So anybody who wants to go and try to do a title search and buy this house, they're going to see that he and I have an agreement, but I'm not protected per se against a lien against the um, against the original uh, seller or whatever. But I can see if they try to refinance, right? Because I've got, you know, I'm, I basically have all of their payment information. I'm making the payments direct to the um, to the to the mortgage to the uh, to the lender. That's another thing I would definitely recommend that you never pay the payments <laughs> to the seller because the seller could just take your money and never pay the mortgage, and then you find out you're getting foreclosed on, you know, down the road and you got no no recourse at that point that's great yeah, if i could really? do it all over again i would definitely and that's one of my mentors taught me kind of after the fact he's like hey i was explaining to the deal to him and he's like hey what do you do if this happens and i'm like i've never heard of that before so i went and dug into that and you know lesson learned and on the next one we'll, we'll incorporate that for sure got it uh, and uh, just for clarification your memorandum of option where did you record that so that the the title is clouded so just in the in the city in, in the city uh you know city courthouse just go down to the courthouse and just say hey I want to and I actually had to explain it to the people behind the desk they were like <laughs> what are you trying to do and I said hey I've got this I'm buying this property in the future I showed them all the agreements you know and, and they were like oh okay okay we get it I mean it, and the interesting part was I talked to one of my title companies and I said hey I'm doing this can you help me with you know the the, the portion of recording they said yeah we could take you know we can do it and charge you. 400 bucks or whatever, but you can actually do it for yourself for like probably 50. So I just went down to the courthouse and brought my documents notarized, paid a fee and, and then it's recorded. Awesome. That's great. Well, uh, Marseille, this has been really awesome. Thank you so much for sharing this deal with us. This uh, was really interesting. I know I've gotten questions in the past about lease options, but uh, we haven't had a lot of luck here in this market and making it happen. So it's cool that gotcha. you got this done and that it's yep. now a part of your tool chest and, and you even mm -hmm. know how to improve on it and make it even better. If Absolutely. people want to connect with you, where can they find you? So, yeah, so I am on, uh, obviously I'm, I'm on bigger pockets. Um, you can find me on BP. You can also find me on all the social media, uh, so, social media channels. You know, I'm on Facebook under the Property Pastor. You can find me on Instagram, Property Pastor. I do have a YouTube channel as well. So if you type in YouTube, the Property Pastor, you'll find me there. I typically drop videos on Mondays and Thursdays of every single week. So I do interviews like we're doing now. Um, and then you can also email me to, you know, ckjwproperties at gmail.com. Um, so I try to stay kind of active on different spaces just to network with folks and um, to learn from them and then let kind of share my, you know, document my journey. You know, so I think that's important because, I, you know, experience is, a, is an important teacher, but you don't always have to learn from your own experience. You can learn from somebody else's. Right. So, I mean, I got an older brother, so I learned from some of his mistakes and didn't have to repeat them all myself. Right. Yeah. It's the uh, it's the fool that learns from his own mistakes. It's the wise man that learns from the mistakes of others. Absolutely. Absolutely. Very cool. Yeah, well, again, you can, you know, in any way you can, you can get a hold of me. Very cool. Well, thanks again, Marseille. This has been awesome. Absolutely. Well, I appreciate the uh, time to come on. And, um, you know, if you got questions about, you know, lease options in any way, hit me up. You know, if you got questions on seller financing, like I say, you can reach out on any one of those means. And, I'm, you know, I, I like to answer questions. 
I actually believe I learn by showing people stuff. So even sitting here telling you about this, it just reinforces what, you know, the things that I'm learning too. So appreciate you guys having me today. And I've just had a ball, you know, talking real estate, talking family and all that kind of good stuff. So I appreciate it. Well, thanks, Marcy. I appreciate it. Thank you again, Marseille, for bringing us such an amazing deal. I, there were so many things that I got out of this. I just have to keep back going back over my notes. Uh, vacancy hangover, now one of my favorite phrases to talk about when we're talking about real estate. Uh, talking to the seller about red flags. Um, you know, Performance deed of trust. Uh, setting the terms on your your creative financing. There were, there were just so many nuggets inside of all of this. Uh, I have to go back and listen to it again just to try and, and incorporate some of the things that Marseille is doing. Um, in case you missed it and haven't listened to, uh, one of the books was Mike Butler's Landlording on Autopilot. If you want to talk to Marseille about any of the advice he gave out, feel free to connect with him. We've got all of his contact info there in the bottom of the episode in our show notes. You can find him on Facebook, Instagram, or on YouTube and connect with him there. Thank you again, Marseille. Just can't say enough about all the the wonderful advice and, and interesting things you, you opened my eyes to in looking at creative financing. Thank you for listening. Uh, we really appreciate you tuning in every episode to find out more about deals that we've done. If you listened this far, I hope that means that you feel like you've got some value out of the episode. And in return, I'd appreciate if you would give me something of value. And no, it's not money. It's not cash. Uh, all I need you to do is wherever you listen to this episode, go and click either subscribe or give the show a rating. Uh, just, you know, click that little star on there. As you may or may not know, most of our lives are run by algorithms and by you interacting with this episode, it gives the algorithm the idea that, oh, hmm, people that like real estate might like this show. And that allows this content to be put in front of people that may not already be listening. And as we as investors know, it's always a good feeling to have something pop up that actually turns out to be a value. Thank you again for listening this far. If you are interested in being on the show, please feel free to reach out. You can find me at info at dissectingthedeal.com. I'd love to talk with you about a deal you've done. As always, stay safe, and we'll all see you next time.